This is chapter 8 of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Battle of the Labyrinth. We visit the Demon Dude Ranch. We finally stopped in a room full of waterfalls. The floor was one big pit, ringed in a slippery stone walkway. All around us, on all four walls, water tumbled from huge pipes. The water spilled down into the pit, and even when I shined a light, I couldn't see the bottom. Bares slumped against the wall. He scooped up water in dozens hands and washed his face. This pit goes straight to Tartarus, he murmured. I should jump in and save you the trouble. Don't talk that way, Annabeth told him. You can come back to camp with us. You can help us prepare. You know more about fighting titans than anybody. I have nothing to offer, Bares said. I have lost everything. What about your brothers? Tyson asked. The other two must stand tall as mountains. We can take you to them. Bares' expression morphed into something even sadder. His grieving face. They are no more. They faded. The waterfalls thundered. Tyson stared into the pit and blinked tears out of his eye. What do you mean they faded? I asked. I thought monsters were immortal, like the gods. Percy, Grover said weakly. Even immortality has limits. Sometimes, sometimes monsters get forgotten and they lose their will to stay immortal. Looking at Grover's face, I wondered if he was thinking about Pan. I remembered something Medusa had told us once, how her sisters and the other two Gorgons had passed on and left her alone. Then, last year, Apollo said something about the old god Helos disappearing and leaving him with the duties of the sun god. I never thought about it much, but now, looking at Brares, I realized how terrible it would be to be so old, thousands and thousands of years old, and totally alone. I must go, Brares said. Kronos' army will invade camp, Tyson said. We need help. Bares hung his head. I cannot, Cyclops. You are strong. Not anymore. Bares rose. Hey! I grabbed one of his arms and pulled him aside, where the roar of the water would hide our words. Bares, we need you. In case you haven't noticed, Tyson believes in you. He has risked his life for you. I told him about everything. Luke's invasion plan, the labyrinth entrance at camp, Daedalus's workshop, Kronos's golden coffin. Bares just shook his head. I cannot, demigod. I do not have a finger gun to win this game. To prove his point, he made 100 finger guns. Maybe th that's why monsters fade, I said. Maybe it's not about what the mortals believe. Maybe it's because you give up on yourself. His pure brown eyes regarded me. His face morphed into an expression I recognized. Shame. And then he turned and trudged off down the corridor until he was lost in the shadows. Tyson sobbed. It's okay. Grover hesitantly patted his shoulder, which must have taken all of his courage. Tyson sneezed. It's not okay, goat boy. He was my hero. I, I wanted to make him feel better, but I wasn't sure what to say. Finally, Annabeth stood and shouldered her backpack. Come on, guys. This pit is making me nervous. Let's find a better place to camp for the night. We settled in a corridor made of huge marble blocks. It looked like it could have been part of a Greek tomb, with bronze torch holders fastened to the walls. It had been in the older part of the maze, and Annabeth decided this was a good sign. We must be close to Daedalus's workshop, she said. Get some rest, everybody. We'll keep going in the morning. How do we know when it's in the morning? Grover asked. Just rest, she insisted. Grover didn't need to be told twice. He pulled a heap of straw out of his pack and ate some of it, made a pillow out of the rest, and was snoring in no time. Tyson took longer to get to sleep. He tinkered with some metal scraps from his building kit for a while, but whatever he was making, he wasn't happy with it. 
Yip disassembling the parts. I'm sorry I lost the shield, I told him. You worked so hard to repair it. Tyson looked up. His eye was bloodshot from crying. Do not worry, brother. You saved me. You wouldn't have to do it if Pratis helped. He was just scared, I said. I'm sure he'll get over it. He is not strong, Tyson said. He is not important anymore. He heaved a big, sad sigh and then closed his eye, the metal pieces falling out of his hand, still unassembled, and Tyson began to snore. I tried to fall asleep myself, but I couldn't. Something about getting chased by a large dragon lady with poison swords made it real hard to relax. I picked up my bedroll and dragged it over to where Annabeth was sitting, keeping watch. I sat down next to her. You should sleep, she said. Can't. You're doing all right? Sure. First day of leading the quest. Just great. We'll get there, I said. We'll find the workshop before Luke does. She brushed her hair out of her face. She had a smudge of dirt on her chin, and I imagined what she must have looked like when she was little, wandering around the country with Talia and Luke. Once she saved them from the mansion of evil cyclopses, when she was only seven. Even when she looked scared like now, I knew she still had a lot of guts. I just wish the quest was logical, she complained. I mean, we're traveling, but I have no idea where we'll end up. How can you walk from New York to California in a day? Space isn't the same in the maze. I know, I know, it's just... She looked at me hesitantly. Percy, I was kidding myself. All that planning and reading, I have no clue where we're going. You're doing great. Besides, we never know what we're doing. It always works out. Remember Cersei's Island? <laughs> she snorted. You make a cute guinea pig. And Waterland? How you got us thrown off that ride? I got us thrown off? That was totally your fault. See? It'll be fine. She smiled, which I was glad to see, but the smile faded quickly. Percy, what did Hera mean when she said you knew the way to get through the maze? I don't know, I admitted. Honestly. You would tell me if you did? Sure, maybe. Maybe what? Maybe if you told me the last line of the prophecy, it would help. Annabeth shivered. Not here. Not in the dark. What about the choice Jonas mentioned? Hera said, stop. Annabeth snapped. Then she took a shaky breath. I, I'm sorry, Percy. I'm, I'm just stressed, but I, I don't... I've got to think about it. We sat in silence, listening to the strange creaks and groans in the maze. The echo of stones grinding together as the tunnels changed, grew, and expanded. The dark made me think about the visions I'd seen of Nico, and suddenly I realized something. Nico is down here somewhere, I said. That's how he disappeared from camp. He found the labyrinth. Then he found a path that led down even farther, to the underworld. But now he's back in the maze. He's coming after me. Annabeth was quiet for a long time. Percy, I hope you're wrong. But if you're right, she stared at the flashlight beam, casting a dim circle on the stone wall. I had a feeling she was thinking about her prophecy. I'd never seen her look more tired. How about I take first watch, I said. I'll wake you if anything happens. Annabeth looked like she wanted to protest, but she just nodded, slumped into her bedroll, and closed her eyes. When it was my turn to sleep, I dreamed I was back in the old man labyrinth prison. It looked more like a workshop now. Tables were littered with measuring instruments. A forge burned red hot in this corner. The boy I'd seen in the last dream was stroking the bellows, except he was taller now, almost my age. A weird funnel device was attached to the forge's chimney, trapping the smoke and heat and channel it through the pipe into the floor, next to a big bronze manhole cover. 
It was daytime. The sky above was blue, but the walls of the maze cast deep shadows across the workshop. After being in the tunnel so long, I found it weird that part of the labyrinth could be open to the sky. Somehow, that made the maze seem even crueler. The old man looked sickly. He was terribly thin, his hands raw and red from working. White hair covered his eyes, and his tunic was smudged with grease. He was bent over a table, working on some kind of long metal patchwork, like a swath of chainmail. He picked up a delicate curl of bronze and fitted it into place. Done, he announced. It's done. He picked up his project. It was so beautiful, my heart leapt. Metal wings constructed from thousands of interlocking bronze feathers. There were two sets. One still lay on the table. Daedalus stretched the frame, and the wings expanded 20 feet. Part of me knew it could never fly. It was too heavy. There'd be no way to get it off the ground. But the craftsmanship was amazing. Metal feathers caught in the light and flashed 30 different shades of gold. The boy left the bellows and ran over to see. He grinned, despite the fact that he was grimy and sweaty. Father, you're a genius! The old man smiled. Tell me something I don't know, Icarus. Now hurry, it won't last an hour to attach them. Come on. You first, Icarus said. The old man protested, but Icarus insisted. You made them father. You should get the honor of wearing them first. The boy attached a leather harness to his father's chest, like climbing gear, with straps that ran from his shoulders to his wrists. Then he began fastening on the wings, using a metal canister that looked like an enormous hot glue gun. The wax compound should hold for several hours, Daedalus said nervously as his son worked, but we must let it set first, and we would do well to avoid flying too high or too low. The sea would wet the wax seals, and the sun's heat would loosen them, the boy finished. Yes, father, we've been through this a million times. One cannot be too careful. I have complete faith in your inventions, father. No one has ever been as smart as you. The old man's eyes shone. It was obvious he loved his son more than anything in the world. Now I will do your wings and give me mine a chance to set properly. Come! It was slow going. The old man's hands fumbled with the straps. He had a hard time keeping the wings in position while he sealed them. His own metal wings seemed to weigh him down, getting in his way while he tried to work. Too slow, the old man muttered. I'm too slow. Take your time, father, the boy said. The guards aren't due until boom. The workshop doors shuddered. Daedalus had barred them from the inside with a wooden brace, but they still shook on their hinges. Hurry, Icarus said. Boom. Boom. Something heavy was slamming into the doors. The brace held, but a crack appeared in the left door. Daedalus worked furiously. A drop of hot wax spilled into Icarus's shoulder. The boy winced, but did not cry out. When his left wing was sealed into the straps, Daedalus began to work on the right. We must have more time, Daedalus murmured. They're here too early. We need more time for the seal to hold. It'll be fine, Icarus said as his father finished the right wing. Help me with the manhole. Crash! The door splintered and the head of a bronze battering ram emerged through the breach. Axes cleared the debris and two armed guards emerged into the room, followed by the king with a golden crown and spear-shaped beard. Well, well, the king said with a cruel smile. Going somewhere? Daedalus and his friends froze. Their metal wings glimmered on their backs. We're leaving, Minos, the old man said. King Minos chuckled. I was curious to see how far you would get on this little project before I dashed your hopes. I must say, I'm impressed. The king admired their wings. You look like metal chickens, he decided. Perhaps we should pluck you and make you soup. The guards laughed stupidly. Metal chickens, one repeated. Soup.
Shut up, the king said. He turned again to Daedalus. You let my daughter escape, old man. You drove my wife to madness. You killed my monster and made me the laughingstock of the Mediterranean. You will never escape me. Icarus grabbed the wax gun and sprayed it at the king, who stepped back in surprise. The guards rushed forward, but each got a stream of hot wax in the face. The vents, Icarus called his father. Get them, King Minos raged. Together, the old man and his son pried open the manhole cover and in a column of hot air blasted out of the ground. The king watched, incredulous, as the inventor and son shot into the sky on their bronze wings, carried by the updraft. Shoot them, the king yelled, but his guards had brought no bows. One threw his sword in desperation, but Daedalus and Icarus were already out of the reach. They wheeled above the maze in the king's palace, then zoomed across the city of Knossos and out past the rocky shores of Crete. Icarus laughed. Free father, you did it! The boy spread his wings to their full limit and soared away onto the wind. Wait, Daedalus called. Be careful! But Icarus was already out over the open sea, heading north, delighting with their good luck. He soared up and scared an eagle out of its flight path, then pummeled towards the sea like he was born to fly, pulling out of a nosedive at the last second, his sandals skimming the water. Stop that, Daedalus called, but the wind carried his voice away. His son was drunk on his own freedom. The old man struggled to catch up, gliding clumsily after his son. They were miles from Crete over deep sea when Icarus looked back and saw his father's worried expression. Icarus smiled. Don't worry, father. You're a genius. I trust your handiwork. The metal feather had shook loose from its wings and fluttered away. Then another. Icarus wobbled in midair. Suddenly, he was shredding bronze feathers, which twirled away after him like a flock of frightened birds. Icarus, his father cried, glide, extend the wings, stay as still as possible. But Icarus flapped his wings, desperately trying to reassert control. The left wing went first, ripping right away from the straps. Father, Icarus cried, and then he fell. His wings stripped away until he was just a boy in a climbing harness and a white tunic. His arms extended in a useless attempt to glide. I woke with a start, feeling like I was falling. The corridor was dark. In the constant moaning of the labyrinth, I thought I could hear the anguished cries of Daedalus, calling out his son's name. As Icarus, his only joy, plummeted towards the sea, 300 feet below. There was no morning in the maze. But once everyone woke up and had a fabulous breakfast of granola bars and juice boxes, we kept traveling. I didn't mention my dream. Something about it had really freaked me out, and I didn't think the others needed to know that. The old stone tunnels changed to dirt with cedar beams, like a gold mine or something. Anbeth started to get agitated. This isn't right, she said. It should still be stone. We came to a cave where the stalactites hung low from the ceiling. In the center of the dirt floor was a rectangular pit, like a grave. Grover shivered. It smells like the underworld in here. Then I saw something glinting in the edge of the pit, a foil wrapper. I shined my flashlight into the hole and saw half-chewed cheeseburger floating in the brown carbonated muck. Nico, I said, he was summoning the dead again. Tyson whimpered, ghosts were here. I, I, I don't like ghosts. We've got to find him. I don't know why, but standing at the edge of that pit gave me a sense of urgency. Nico was close. I could feel it. I couldn't let him wander around down here, alone, except for the dead. I started to run. Percy! Annabeth called out. I ducked into a tunnel and saw light up ahead. By the time Annabeth, Tyson, and Grover caught up with me, I was staring at daylight streaming through a set of bars above my head. 
We were under a steel grate made out of metal pipes. I could see trees in blue sky. Where are we? I wondered. Then a shadow fell across the gate, and a cow stared down at me. It looked like a normal cow, except with a weird color, bright red, like a cherry. I didn't know cows came in that color. The cow mooed, put one hoof tentatively on the bar, then backed away. It's a cattle guard, Grover said. A what? I asked. They put them at the gates of ranches so cows can't get out. They can't walk on them. How do you know that? Grover huffed indignantly. Believe me, if you had hooves, you'd know about cattle guards. They are annoying. I turned to Annabeth. Didn't Hera say something about a ranch? We need to check it out. Nico might be here. She hesitated. All right, but how do we get out? Tyson solved that problem by hitting the cattle guard with both hands. It popped off and went flying out of sight. We heard a clang and started moo. Tyson blushed. Sorry, cow, he called. He gave us a boost out of the tunnel. We were on a ranch, all right. Rolling hills stretched to the horizon, dotted with oak trees and cactuses and boulders. A barbed wire fence ran from the gate in either direction. Cherry-colored cows roamed around, grazing on clumps of grass. Red cattle, Annabeth said. The cattle of the sun. What? I asked. They're sacred to Apollo. Holy cows? Exactly. But what are they doing? Wait, Grover said. Listen. At first, everything seemed quiet. But then I heard it. The distant baying of dogs. The sound got louder. They were underbrush rustled, and two dogs broke through. Except it wasn't two dogs. It was one dog with two heads. It looked like a greyhound, long and snaky and sleek brown, but its neck veed into two heads, both of them snapping and snarling, and generally not glad to see us. Bad Jonas dog, Tyson cried. Arf, Grover told it, and raised a hand in greeting. The two-headed dog bared its teeth. I guess it wasn't impressed that Grover could speak animal. Then its master lumbered out of the woods, and I realized the dog was the least of our problem. He was a huge guy with stark white hair, a straw cowboy hat, and a braided white beard. Kind of like Father Time, if Father Time went redneck and got totally jacked. He was wearing jeans with a Don't Mess With Texas t-shirt and a denim jacket with the sleeves ripped off so you could see his muscles. On his right bicep was a crossed swords tattoo. He held a wooden club about the size of a nuclear warhead, with six-inch spikes bristling at the business end. Heal, Orpheus, he told the dog. The dog growled at us once more, just to make his feelings clear, then circled back to his master's feet. The man looked us up and down and kept his club ready. What have we got here? he asked. Cattle rustlers? Just travelers, Annabeth said. We're on a quest. The man's eyes twitched. Half-bloods, eh? I stared at him. How do you know? Annabeth put her hand on my arm. I'm Annabeth, daughter of Athena. This is Percy, son of Poseidon. Go over the satyr, Tyson the Cyclops, the man finished. Yes, I can see that. He glowered at me. And I know half-bloods because I am one, Sonny. I'm Uriton, the cow herd for this here ranch, son of Ares. You came through the labyrinth like the other one, I reckon. The other one, I asked. You mean Nico D'Angelo? We get a load of visitors from the labyrinth, Uriton said darkly. Not many ever leave. Wow, I said. I feel welcome. The cowherd glanced behind him like someone was watching. Then he lowered his voice. I'm only going to say this once, demigods. Get back in the maze now, before it's too late. We're not leaving, Annabeth insisted. Not until we see this other demigod. Please. Uriton grunted. 
Then you leave me no choice, Missy. I've got to take you to the boss. I didn't feel like we were hostages or anything. Yeratan walked along us with his club across his shoulder. Orpheus, the two-headed dog, growled a lot and sniffed at Grover's legs and shot into the bushes once in a while to chase a wild animal. But Yuratan kept him more or less under control. We walked down a dirt path that seemed to go on forever. It must have been close to 100 degrees, which was a shock after San Francisco. Heat shimmered off the ground. Insects buzzed in the tree. Before we'd gone far, I was sweating like crazy. Flies swarmed us. Every so often, we'd see a pen full of red cows or even stranger animals. Once we passed a corral where the fence was coated in abscitos, Inside was a herd of fire-breathing horses milling around. The hay at their feeding trough was on fire. The ground smoked at their feet, but the horses seemed tame enough. One of the big stallions looked at me and whined, columns of red flame billowing out of his nostrils. I wonder if it hurt his sinuses. What are they for? I asked. Yuratan scowled. We raise animals for lots of clients. Apollo, Demotes, and others. Like who? No more questions. Finally, we came out of the woods. Perched on a hill above us was a big ranch house, all white stone and wood and big windows. It looks like a Frank Lloyd Wright, Annabeth said. I guess she was talking about some architectural thing. To me, it looked like the kind of place where a few demigods could get into some serious trouble. We hiked up the hill. Don't break the rules. Yuratan warned us as we walked up the steps to the front porch. No fighting, no drawing weapons, and do not make any comments about the boss's appearance. Why? I asked. What does he look like? Before Yuratan could reply, a new voice said, Welcome to the Triple G Ranch. The man on the porch had a normal head, which was a relief. His face was withered and brown from years in the sun. He had a slick back hair and a black pencil mustache, like villains in an old movie. He smiled at us, but the smile wasn't friendly, more amused, like, oh boy, more people to torture. I didn't ponder that very long, though, because then I noticed his body, or bodies. He had three of them. Now, you'd think I would have gotten used to weird anatomy after Jones and Brades, but this guy had three complete people. His neck connected to the middle chest like normal, but he had two more chests on either side, connected at the shoulders, with a few inches between them. His left arm grew out of his left chest, and the same on the right, so he had two arms, but four armpits, if that made any sense. The chests all connected to one enormous torso, with th two regular but beefy legs. He wore the most oversized pair of Levi's I'd ever seen. His chests each wore a different color western shirt. Green, yellow, red. Like a stoplight. I wonder how he got dressed in the middle chest, since he had no arms. The cow herd Yuratan nudged me. Say hello to Mr. Guron. Hi, I said. Nice chests. Uh, ranch. Nice ranch you have. Before the three-bodied man could respond, Nico D'Angelo came out of the glass doors on the porch. Guron, I won't wait for... He froze when he saw us. Then he drew his sword. The blade was just like I'd seen in my dreams. Short, sharp, and as dark as midnight. Garon snarled when he saw it. Put that away, Mr. D'Angelo. I ain't gonna have none of my guests killing each other. But that's Percy Jackson, Garon supplied, Annabeth Chase, and a couple of them monster friends. Yes, I know. 
monster friends, Grover said indignantly. This man wears three shirts, Tyson said, like he was just realizing this. They let my sister die. Nico's voice trembled with rage. They're here to kill me. Nico, we're not here to kill you. I raised my hands. What happened to Bianca was, don't speak her name. You're not worthy to even talk about her. Wait a minute, Annabeth pointed at Gyron. How do you know our names? The three-bodied man winked. I'm making my business to keep informed, darling. Everybody pops into the ranch from time to time. Everybody needs something from old Garon. Now, Mr. D'Angelo, put that ugly soul away before I have Yuraton take it from you. Yuraton sighed, but he hefted his spiked club at his feet. Arethius growled. Nico hesitated. He looked thinner and paler than he had in the iris message. I wonder if he'd eaten in the last week. His black clothes were dusty from traveling in the labyrinth, and his dark eyes were full of hate. He was too young to look so angry. I still remembered him as the cheerful little boy who played mythomagic cards. Reluctantly, he sheathed his sword. If you come near me, Percy, I'll summon help, and you don't want to meet my helpers. I promise. I believe you, I said. Garon patted Nico's shoulder. There, we've all made nice. Now come along, folks. I want to give you a tour of the ranch. Garon had a trolley thing, like one of those kiddies trains that you take around zoos. It was painted black and white in a cowhide pattern. The driver's car had a set of longhorns stuck to the hood, and the horn sounded like a cowbell. I figured maybe this is how he tortured people. He embarrassed them to death riding around on this moon mobile. Nico sat in the very back, probably so he could keep an eye on us. Yuratan crawled in next to him with his spiked club and pulled his cowboy hat over his eyes, like he was going to take a nap. Orpheus jumped in the front seat next to Garon and began barking happily to make a two-part harmony. Annabeth, Tyson, Grover, and I took the middle two cars. We have a huge operation, Garon boasted as the Moo Mobile lurched forward. Horses and cattle mostly, but all sorts of exotic varieties too. We came over a hill and Annabeth gasped. Electrians? I thought they were extinct. At the bottom of a hill was a fenced-in pasture with a dozen of the weirdest animals I'd ever seen. Each of them had the front half of a horse and the back half of a rooster. Their rear end were two huge yellow claws. They had feathery tails and red wings. As I watched, two of them got into a fight over a pile of seed. They reared on each other wings at each other's until a small one galloped away, its rear bird legs putting a little hop in its step. Rooster ponies, Tyson said in amazement. Do they lay eggs? Once a year, Gyron grinned in the rearview mirror, very much in demand for omelets. That's horrible, Annabeth said. They must be an endangered species. Gyron waved his hands. Gold is gold, darling, and you haven't tasted the omelets. That's not right, Grover murmured, but Gyron just kept narrating the tour. Now, over here, he said, we have fire-breathing horses, which you may have seen on your way in. They're bred for war, naturally. What war? I asked. Gyron grinned slyly. Oh, whichever one comes along. And over yonder, of course, is our prized red cows. Sure enough, hundreds of the cherry-colored cattle were grazing on the side of the hill. So many, Grover said. Yes, well, Apollo's too busy to see to them, Gyron explained, so he subcontracts to us. We breed them vigorously because there's such a demand. For what? I asked. Gyron raised an eyebrow. Meat, of course. Armies have to eat.
you kill the sacred cow of the sun for hamburger meat? Grover said, that's against ancient laws. Oh, don't get so worked up, Santa. They're just animals. Just animals? Yes, and if Apollo cared, I'm sure he would tell us. If he knew, I muttered. Nico sat forward. I don't care about any of this, Gyron. We had business to discuss, and this wasn't it. All in good time, Mr. D'Angelo. Look over here, some of my exotic game. The next field was ringed in barbed wire. The whole area was crawling with giant scorpions. Triple G Ranch, I said, suddenly remembering. Your mark was on the crates at camp. Quintus got his scorpions from you. Quintus, Garyon mused. Short, gray hair, muscular swordsman? Yeah, never heard of him, Garyon said. Now over there are my prize stables. You must see them. I didn't need to see them because as soon as we got within 300 yards, I started to smell them. Near the banks of a green river was a horse corral the size of a football field. Stables lined one side of it. About 100 horses were milling around in the muck. And when I say muck, I mean horse poop. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Like a poop blizzard had come through and dumped four feet of the stuff overnight. The horses were really gross wading through it, and the stables were just as bad. It reeked like you would not believe. Worse than garbage boats on the East River. Even Nico gagged. What is that? My stables, Garyon said. Well, actually, they belong to Igis, but we watch over them for a small monthly fee. Aren't they lovely? They're disgusting, Annabeth said. Lots of poop, Tyson observed. How can you keep animals like that? Grover cried. Y'all are getting on my nerves, Garyon said. These are flesh-eating horses, see? They like these conditions. Plus, you're too cheap to have them cleaned, Yuraton muttered from under his hat. Quiet, Garyon snapped. All right, perhaps the stables are a bit challenging to clean. Perhaps they do make me nauseous when the wind blows the wrong way. But so what? My clients still pay me. What clients? I demanded. Oh, you'd be surprised how many people will pay for a flesh-eaten horse. They make great garbage disposals. Wonderful way to terrify your enemies. Great at birthday parties. We rent them out all the time. You are a monster, Annabeth decided. Annabeth stopped the moon mobile and turned to look at her. What gave that away? Was it the three bodies? You have to let these animals go, Grover said. It's not right. And the clients you keep talking about, Annabeth said, you work for Kronos, don't you? You're supplying his army with horses, food, whatever they need. Gurion shrugged, which was very weird since he had three sets of shoulders. It looked like he was doing the wave all by himself. I work for anyone with gold, young lady. I'm a businessman and I sell them anything I have to offer. He climbed out of the moomobile and strolled towards the stables, as if enjoying the fresh air. It would have been a nice view, with the river and the trees and the hill and all, except for the quagmire of horse muck. Nico got out of the back car and strolled over to Garyon. The cow heard Yuraton wasn't as sleepy as he looked. He hefted his club and walked after Nico. I came here for business, Garyon, Nico said, and you haven't answered me. Mm. Garyon examined a cactus. His left arm reached over and scratched his middle chest. Yes, you'll get a deal. All right. My ghost told me you could help. He said you could guide us to the soul we need. Wait a second, I said. I thought I was the soul you wanted. Nico looked at me like I was crazy. You? Why would I want you? Bianca's soul is worth a thousand of yours. 
Now, can you help me, Garyon, or not? Imagine I could, the rancher said. Your ghost friend, by the way, where is he? Nico looked uneasy. He can't form in broad daylight. It, it's hard for him. But he's around somewhere. Garyon smiled. I'm sure. Minos likes to disappear when things get difficult. Minos? I remembered the man I saw in my dreams, with the golden crown and pointed beard and cruel eyes. You mean that evil king? That's the ghost that's been giving you advice? It's none of your business, Percy. Nico turned back to Garyon. And what do you mean about things getting difficult? The three-bodied man sighed. Well, you see, Nico. Can I call you Nico? No. You see, Nico, Luke Calliston is offering very good money for half-bloods. Especially powerful half-bloods. And I'm sure when he learns your little secret, who you really are, he'll pay very, very well indeed. Nico drew his sword, but Yuritan knocked it out of his hand. Before I could get up, Eurethus pounded on my chest and growled, his faces an inch away from mine. I would stay in the car, all of you, Garyon warned, or Orpheus will tear Mr. Jackson's throat out. Now, Yuritan, if you would be so kind, secure Nico. The cowherd spit into the grass. Do I have to? Yes, you fool! Yuritan looked bored, but he wrapped one huge arm around Nico and lifted him up like a wrestler. Pick up the sword, too, Garyon said with distaste. There's nothing I hate worse than strategy and iron. Yuritan picked up the sword, careful not to touch the blade. Now, Garyon said cheerfully, we had the toll. Let's get back to the lodge and have some lunch and send an iris message to our friends in the Titan army. Your friend? Annabeth cried. Garyon smiled at her. Don't worry, my dear. Once I've delivered Mr. D'Angelo, you and your party can go. I don't interfere with quests. Besides, I've been paid well to give you safe passage, which does not, I'm afraid, include Mr. D'Angelo. Paid by whom? Annabeth said. What do you mean? Never mind you, darling. Let's be off, shall we? Wait, I said, and Orpheus growled. I stayed perfectly still so he wouldn't tear out my throat. Gurion, you said you're a businessman. Make me a deal. Gurion narrowed his eyes. What sort of deal? Do you have gold? I have something better. Barter. But Mr. Jackson, you've got nothing. You could have him clean the stables? Yuritan suggested innocently. I'll do that. I said, if I fail, you get us all. Trade us all to Luke for gold. Assuming the horses don't eat you, Garyon observed. Either way, you get my friends, I said. But if I succeed, you've got to let us all go, including Nico. No, Nico screamed. Don't do me any favors, Percy. I don't want your help. Garyon chuckled. Percy Jackson, those stables haven't been cleaned in thousands of years. Though it's... True, I might be able to sell more stable space if all that poop was cleared away. So, what do you have to lose? The rancher hesitated. All right, I'll accept your offer, but you have to get it done by sunset. If you fail, your friends get sold, and I get rich. Deal. He nodded. I'm going to take your friends with me back to the lodge. We'll wait for you there. Yuritan gave me a funny look. It might have been sympathy. He whistled, and the dog jumped off me and onto Annabeth's lap. She yelped. I knew Tyson and Grover would never try anything as long as Annabeth was hostage. I got out of the car and locked eyes with her. I hope you know what you're doing, she said quietly. I hope so, too. Garyon got behind the driver's wheel. Yuritan hauled Nico into the back seat. Sunset, Garyon reminded me. No later. He laughed at me once more, sounded his cow horn bell, and the moo mobile rumbled off down the trail.